Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by Will Lomas, one of the other two hosts of the No Nonsense podcast. Matthias is still in Europe. I believe he is in Italy at the moment, and the Titans are in the playoffs. This is only our, well, I guess we've podcasted, Will, for three years together now, and this is just the second time of those three years that we are doing a playoff episode. Yeah, it's nice to not be doing a season recap right now, which is always significantly more depressing to record on Black Monday than one of these. You know, it is funny not to take a shot at Mariota, uh, but but more a, a, a praise to Tannehill and just sort of, I guess, the difference in, in where the Titans are now and last year. I think just about everyone said after that Colts game in Week 17 last year that the Titans lost to miss out on the playoffs. That if Mariota played, you know, I think they would have won. I certainly believe they would have won if Mariota had played. So then it became, well, they just need Mariota healthy and they'll be good. <laughs> and, and well, Mariota was healthy yesterday, but he didn't play because the Titans have a new, awesome quarterback. Um, you know, on the game yesterday, I thought that the uh, that the Titans did a really good job of uh, of just taking care of the business that was in front of them. You know, they played a team with a lot of backups, they didn't have anything to play for themselves, and the Titans went and curb stomped them, and that's what you got to do. Yeah, offensively especially, like it seemed scary at first because you'd seen uh, the Dolphins beat the Patriots. The Chargers made it a close game with the Chiefs earlier in the day. So it felt like one of those days where it's like, okay, you know, it's the last week of the season. All these coaches are pulling out all their tricks, whatever. And the teams that are supposed to lose are winning or making it really competitive. And immediately on the first drive, for the first time all season, the Texans went down and scored on their opening drive with their backup offense against the Titans starting defense. So that was scary. Um, but then Tannehill took over and did what he does and you know three or four touchdowns later and it just felt like an insurmountable lead so yeah it it was nice to see the best players at least on offense consistently make plays and you know in a game like this it doesn't matter how much you win by you know it all that matters is you get through to the playoffs because nobody's going to be impressed with the win over backups and everybody will criticize you if you lose so uh, the Titans kept their heads down, set you know some records, and did some nice things, and then just got out of Houston. So 
it, it was it was very encouraging. What record did they set? Uh, I mean, just Derrick Henry getting uh, uh, rushing. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so Derrick Henry did get the rushing title with a 200-plus yard performance in his first game back after being rested. Clearly, I mean, I wrote a column on, on Friday saying that, that Vrabel was sort of a – not a genius because it was a little obvious, but, but that was the right choice for them to do and that it should pay dividends moving forward, and it absolutely did. They relied on – their uh, their uh, their truck, as Johnu Smith referred to him when I talked to Johnu on Friday, and and their truck uh, not only won the NFL rushing title, but he uh, carried them to victory. What what a great year for Derrick Henry it's been. Yeah, I think he led the NFL in rushing touchdowns too, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. And then he was only I think he was only one or two behind the total touchdown number, which was McCaffrey. I want to say who. Uh, had something like 18 compared to uh, Henry 17. Now don't don't quote me on those on those exact numbers, but it's something like if Henry would have been used better earlier on in the season, or if he would have played against the Saints and he was healthy, that he probably would have had that you know as well. So yeah, it, it was a really good, and it, that always seems to happen in you know the year that'll cost you the most money that your players have their best seasons and. You know, whatever contract he gets, he definitely deserves, whether it's from the Titans or whoever. But, you know, at the very least, he's shown that he is a huge part of one of the best offenses in football right now and that teams should covet him if they have any chance at getting him. Well, and and I think it probably should be the Titans. And and we'll certainly have that discussion in greater detail once they lose. But uh, or if they lose, they might win the Super Bowl. Who knows? We'll we'll actually get to that in just a a little bit. We'll get to that in just a little bit, too. Um, but the, the Titans need to bring back Derrick Henry, right? I mean, I don't see any way around that being the right thing to do. Yeah, it's all just a matter of, you know, how you do it. Uh, the Titans really haven't made any sort of business decisions where you look and you see a really good player go to another team or anything like that since John Robinson's been here. So, you would assume, especially since Henry was part of his opening draft class, that you would want to keep the you know crown jewels in your safe as long as you can. But, I mean, you never know. We've talked about it before. History shows that it's always a bad idea to pay running backs big contracts, and he just is coming off of a season where he's basically the leader in touchdowns and rushing yards, and when he wasn't in the game or when he was banged up, there was a clear difference in the offense. So, I mean, he's got a ton of leverage, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what goes on, how the franchise tag plays into it. The Titans should definitely be interested, but I mean, again, if he if he asks for fifteen million dollars or if he asks for you know some crazy high number, I, I just don't know that the Titans are going to do that. Um. So, so yesterday's game was good for a number of reasons, right? We, we talked about the Titans taking care of business. They earned their playoff berth, getting to go face New England. We'll get to them in a little bit, of course. Um, A.J. Brown had, had another really good game yesterday, getting to over 1,000 yards on the season. The first wide receiver the Titans ha- have had with 1,000 yards since Kendall Wright back in, I believe, 2013. So here's the question I will pose to you, Will. Um, is A.J. Brown the best wide receiver the Titans have had 
outside of Derek Mason. Because I think that after just one year, it would be a little premature to put him ahead of of Mason because Mason had a sustained great career with the Titans and and then went on to have a great career with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I think as a Titans fan, you can hate Derek Mason for the way he kind of treated the franchise when he went to Baltimore and the things he said and kind of what he became. But you have to understand that he was really good when he was in Tennessee, like very clearly the most productive receiver the Titans have ever had, at least since they've been intended, you know, you have that caveat where you have to say like, okay, like since they've been the Titans and you're not talking about the sixties with the Oilers and all that, but in modern football, he was the Titans best, best wide receiver and maybe their best weapon, depending on how you think of him versus Eddie George and Chris Johnson. But uh, that's, that's for another time. But, yeah, like he was great, but I don't know. Like, it's hard for me to think of anybody being more dominant than AJ Brown has been. Because we talked about it before, and I've tweeted about it a lot. Where nobody in NFL history has had a rookie season where, on you know, fifty-one or fewer target or fewer receptions that they've cracked a thousand yards. And the next closest is 64, which was done by Randy Moss, I believe. So, you know, you do something at such a high level and you're so explosive, you average something like 20 yards a catch. I mean, it's it's hard for me to imagine many players in the NFL over the last five or ten years who've had better seasons than A.J. Brown has, just when you consider volume and all that. So I think he's very clearly – I'll say it this way. He very clearly had the second best or first, second, third, one of those uh, seasons by a wide receiver in a Titans uniform. But, I mean, if he does this next year, then, yeah, like he's he's the best receiver the Titans have ever had. Nobody's ever been this explosive. And you got to think, like, he's not a guy who's 5'8", 160 pounds. I mean, the guy could run a jet sweep and run over a corner just as easy as he could, you know, outrun a guy down, you know, the middle of yeah. the field. So, well, and, and that's what I think is so impressive about AJ is the number of ways we have seen him win. And that the the one way yeah. that I think we haven't really seen him win is, and I think this might come with time as he as he becomes more comfortable and 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 gets better, is we haven't really seen him be a guy who can use his body to box out and and get contested catches. Uh, he can get there, but just about every other imaginable way for a receiver to win and be productive, he's done. He's run straight by cornerbacks down the field. He's taken drags and slants and, and crossers for big, big gains. He, he's gotten handoffs in the backfield and taken them for big gains. He's run breaking routes. You know, he, he does everything, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, he is a complete receiver that can run the full route tree. And the weird thing is, is in college he was primarily a slot receiver until there were injuries that forced him outside. So, I mean, we're seeing him basically take on a new role that he's never really had to deal with before and become the de facto number one wide receiver when – the plan was clearly for him to be a sub package rotational guy early on, but he was so explosive that they couldn't keep him off the field. So we've never seen Arthur Smith design a game plan around getting him the ball, except for 
uh, I guess, the Oakland game when it was just clear that he was going to dominate whoever was put in front of him, and he did, and he had 150-plus yards and two touchdowns or whatever he had. But, you know, it's not like he's been a focal point of the offense very many times this season. It just happens where – I mean, yesterday he had four catches. It's not like they threw him the ball 20 times. Like, he had four catches, and one went for 51 yards, and one went for – mid-40s, like 45 yards, the one that ended up on the one-yard line. He was extremely close to having two of his catches be 100 yards and two touchdowns. But, I mean, he is explosive with the ball in his hands, down the field, anywhere. You can't ask for a better receiver if you take him at number one overall. So, I mean, he's been fantastic. He should, by the way, and I don't know if we're going to have this conversation or not, but I've, I've shifted where, you know, he should be offensive rookie of the year but he should just outright be rookie of the year like i don't know anybody who's had that big of an impact in a vacuum let's talk a little bit about um the patriots because it well first of all actually i'm going to take that back there's another topic i had written down that somehow will i i i skimmed over when we ha- when I'm looking at stuff we need to talk about, how about the Hawaiian king rising from the dead like Lazarus, <laughs> beard and all, yeah. and completing to Corey Davis for first down in maybe the strangest play call I've ever seen. It, it was weird because I noticed Tannehill at wide receiver before I noticed the change in quarterback. So it's not like I saw Mariota and was like, oh, look, there's Mariota. I wonder where Tannehill is. I wonder if he's hurt. So I think that kind of made it a little easier because I think some people on Twitter or whatever were worried because it wasn't instantly clear where he was. But he was on the far side as wide receiver, and I was like, what what could the game plan possibly be here? And I was like, okay, well, yeah. I think I think Romo might have said it. Where I think he said like this has to be a run, and it wasn't. It was just play action, pass over the middle of the field, and I mean, you, it, like, I, I can't remember if it was Davis or Brown, but I mean, he just hit him in stride, and it was like an easy like chunk play, whatever. I don't know if because that's such a weird thing to do that the defense doesn't know if they should treat it as a wildcat or what, but. I have to think going forward, just like when we saw Ferkser line up in the backfield and how we've seen John New line up in the backfield a few times, like it feels like something that Arthur Smith wants to test to see how people might adapt to it, and then he's going to you know attack off of that. But I mean that's that's got to go somewhere. I mean that's got to be some weird reverse huh. like Mariota goes out. Here's my thing with it. Well, for, they did bring him in again at the end of the game to run some zone reads with Henry. Um, but, but my thing is, it's like Tannehill is a better quarterback than Mariota and every wide receiver on the Titans roster, including the Davis kid that played for his first time yesterday is a better wide receiver than Ryan Tannehill. So why in the world is Ryan Tannehill lined up at wide receiver and Mariota at quarterback? Like it just, I don't know, kind of nitpicky, but like, I didn't really see a ton of like value in doing that. Well, yeah, like like I said, like the static value of just having that formation doesn't make any sense. It's all got to be based on, okay, if we put Mariota here, how are you going to cover him if we run read option? Okay, what are you going to do if we run read option and then 
pitch it to Tannehill? Are you going to track Mariota the whole way there? You know, what are you going to do? Because I'm sure what they want to do is they want to get Ta- Mariota wide open in space because he's shown he can catch it for me. I think he had like a 40 something yard touchdown catch against the Jets, and then he caught the pass against the Patriots last year, which, you know, <laughs> say what you want, but he is very athletic and he's shown that if you're going to throw the ball to him, he'll make a play. So, yeah. You know, it's got to be something where, you know, Vrabel's just looking at the call sheet or looking at the roster and they're saying, you know, we've got to find a way to get him involved somehow if it can give us any sort of advantage or if it can make the defense think about one extra thing. And because other otherwise it just doesn't make any sense to have two quarterbacks on the field. So we'll we'll see how that goes. It's It was a weird thing to see. It was cool to see him back out there, you know, like you said, beard and all. But I, I don't. I don't expect it to be a huge part of the offense, but I could see it being like a two or three play a game kind of thing. The big talking point around the Titans this offseason was good to great. The Titans want to go from good to great. And it got to the point where Vrabel would talk to people, and if they said, how are you doing, he'd say, great, and kind of snicker. And if he asked you how you were doing, and you didn't say, great, and you said, good, he'd say, oh, I'm sorry about that. And, like, players were, you know, doing push-ups to be good to great. And, like, by the end of it, I'm just like, is this going to work, or is this just kind of corny? Um, so here's my question based on that. If the Titans lose this week, if they go into New England and do not win, was this a successful season? Because, yes, they did make the playoffs, but for the millionth year in a row, they didn't win the division. Uh, they kind of backdoored their way into the playoffs. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm curious what you think about that because I don't really know where I am. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, I want to say yes just because – when you look at all the other teams, you know, the 20 other teams who aren't playing, it, some of them are terrible. Some of them absolutely have no, you know, argument to be in the playoffs. Some have, you know, some argument, whatever. But the point is that if you're one of the 12 best teams in the NFL, which I firmly believe the Titans are right now, even though I don't believe the Eagles are, and they're in the playoffs. Like, I think the Titans have shown that they are worthy of a playoff spot. I I think that that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, But the biggest thing is it's the first time we've seen an offense in Nashville. So I think the accomplishment and the success of the season, if I want to call it that, isn't going to lie in the final record or making the playoffs. It's in the fact that, okay, you've got a a 31-year-old quarterback, which should theoretically mean that he has a full contract left in him. You've got a dynamic young wide receiver. You've got an offensive line that looks like the pieces will work together. It's just, you know, can they get protections down, all that kind of stuff. You know, can they fine-tune little things? You've got the league's leading rusher as your running back. You know, you finally got all these pieces in place where you're not an offense to where you're praying for 21 points a game. And I think the success of this season will be in that more than anything else. Now, I say that if they go on and win two or three games in the playoffs, then for sure, obviously it's a successful season. But if the season ends in a week, 
I still think that the success of this season is you found an offense, you understand what works, and you can build off of that into something that should go further next year. I want to bring up to a, a tweet I saw today. And there, there have been, I've seen Titans fans kind of going back and forth on, on this. And I'll give credit where it's due because I actually think it's an interesting talking point. At Hosey Nation tweeted <laughs> sort of a joke. You know, I'm old yeah. enough to remember a Titans coach going 9-7 and seven twice in a row, obviously Mike Malarkey, making the playoffs the second year and then being called trash and let go after losing to the Patriots. And, and Malarkey's loss to the Patriots came in the divisional round of the playoffs. So, well, what is different about this year's Titans team than the 2017 squad that similarly traveled to New England in the playoffs – they lost, and then there was an outcry on Twitter for the coach to be fired. Why is it that, and, and even leading into that postseason, the talk was, you know, if they don't win the Super Bowl, is there any chance Malarkey sticks around? I mean, they would have to, I mean, I think the only way the Titans have a new head coach next year is if Vrabel, like, passes away. I mean, to be completely honest. Yeah, it it definitely feels like Vrabel kind of turned the ship around and saved his job. And I, I don't know if it was in jeopardy or not. It felt like it should have been in jeopardy from the decisions that were being made on the field. Like, and I, I was, you know, one of the people who didn't think he was doing a good job as a head coach. And I don't think I was alone and I don't think I was wrong. I think he did a very poor job coaching the team early in this season. But, you know, the question is, is what's the difference between this and the Mike Malarkey years? It, there was no real foundation, I guess, uh, because that team was built around DeMarco Murray as the starting running back who could catch out of the backfield and run, and then we'd get a little bit of Derrick Henry every now and then. And then at wide receiver, you had Tajay Sharp and Eric Decker and uh, Rashard Matthews because for most of the season, Corey Davis was hurt. So And it was built around those guys. Sharp Delaney was actually Walker. hurt that year. Sharp was on Oh, IR. that's right. Yeah, that's right. So it was just uh, random people. Who who was the third was, wide receiver uh, at that point? It was Davis, Matthews, and Decker, Decker. And then the other one would have been Harry Douglas. Oh, God, was it? We we really don't give Mario enough credit for how good he had to play at that point. Because, I mean, Taewon, that, that was... It was. It's Oh, that's right. Taewon, yeah. Taewon, Taewon. We had Taewon on the roster in preseason. We should remember. But anyway... Uh, so that's, it was built around those guys on offense. You know, you had Delaney Walker, who I think at that point had just cracked 30. And, it, you know, he was still at his prime, you know, and it didn't seem like anything was going to phase him. But at the same time, you know that five years in the future, you're probably not building around uh, an older tight end like that. So that was kind of how it was on offense. Defense, uh, I think the Titans had Dory Jackson – Kevin Byard was there. Logan was there. Arakpo, Morgan. Yeah, but you didn't, have, you didn't have Malcolm. You didn't have Rashawn Evans. You didn't Bill have Vaccaro. Kenny Vaccaro. Yeah, you didn't have – you had Austin Johnson playing a lot of defensive tackle. You had – who was it? Sly Williams or Al Woods or something. You had, Celeste yeah, I think, Williams, I don't think yeah. It was, yeah, I think it was Sly. So you had that. And the edges looked good, but again, they were – 
you know, Morgan and Rakpo were about to turn 30. Like, it, it felt like this was a collective of older talent that was kind of bolstering and supporting this younger talent and Mariota and Henry and Corey Davis at times, which looked promising but didn't necessarily look like they were the future guys to hold up the team. Now you've got Jeffrey Simmons, you've got Harold Landry, you've got, you know, Adore Jackson still when he's in is was very good and you know the team misses him badly now. Uh, Kevin Byard is still very good. You've got Jayon and Rashawn starting a linebacker and they're both very talented and they're banged up and they're still doing pretty well. Uh, you've got Roberson who looks like an interesting, you know, designated pass rusher type guy who's done really well. Then on offense, like we talked about earlier, you've got so many weapons on offense. It it, it just it feels like the team's most important players are uh, aside from Tannehill are like in their first contract or just in their second contract. Like you don't feel like you've got maybe a couple more years left out of these guys. So that I would say that's the biggest difference. Um, other than that, it's just got to be the personality of the team of the team, which is more like. We're going to go out and attack, at least offensively. We're going to go out and attack and try to score points instead of, you know, malarkey where it yeah. felt like, okay, we're going to run the ball. It's like playing not to lose a in a way. Yeah. It, 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 you know, and when you play that type of ball, it's not fun to watch and you feel like you're on the edge the whole time because you just, it, you can never build a commanding lead because that's just not how you're built. Like and, you're, and, you're, and to, to that point, is, Will. Something I had written down to talk about is that this version of the Titans, unlike that one, is a sustainable model of success. So what do I mean by sustainable? Because that's a word I hate when people throw around. I mean that the way that they're winning right now can keep going. It's It's something that can win any game. It's not something that... Oh, you run into the Chiefs, and oh, you can't just run the ball because Mahomes is going to put up 35 points. Like, the way that the Titans are playing, which is really good, explosive, lots of points offense, and bend, don't break sort of defense, that's sustainable. You you can win a Super Bowl with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that it's not, like I said, it's not fun for me to watch that defense, but offense, you know, the old cliche is defense wins championships. And historically, when the number one defense goes against the number one offense in uh, the Super Bowl, the defense wins. But, you know, you got to get to the Super Bowl first before you're worried about that. So, I mean, this offense, and I, and I mean, I'll say this, and I don't, I'm not, this is not saying that they should go to the Super Bowl, but this offense has proven to be Super Bowl caliber. It's just, I agree can they consistently do it? I mean, like, and you know, if you didn't disagree, if you didn't agree, we would have to have a conversation about it because there's just, it's not that it's a two week sample size. It's not against nobodies. It's this team is putting up 30 points a game and they're not, it's not like everything's breaking their way. They can't kick a field goal to save their life. They're getting turnovers in the red zone and, you know, they're, they're not getting any favors for their offense it's not like they're getting the ball on the one yard line a lot so like the success this team has is not 
puffed up by you know any sort of fake numbers or anything. It's just the team looks so explosive, and the two leaders in the NFL in touchdowns of forty plus yards are a tie between or is a tie between AJ Brown and Derrick Henry. Like that, they, yeah. They're a an extremely explosive offense, and when those guys are covered, Tannehill will scramble and make a play, and he'll get it to Tajay or whoever the Titans have picked up off the street for this week. You know, the, he made Khalif Raymond a true deep threat. It, it, it It's so impressive yeah. to see what the team has done that this offense is Super Bowl caliber, whether anybody wants to necessarily admit it or not. It's just this is what a Super Bowl caliber offense looks like. Well, but I do want to say this. The best offenses of this decade did not win the Super Bowl. The Atlanta Falcons were the very best, and they obviously, you know, the, the 28-3 to thing. Uh, the Denver Broncos in, I believe, 2013, when Peyton Manning had a phenomenal year and they were just outscoring everyone and no one had any hope, lost in the Super Bowl, got blown out by the Seahawks. And it was after those two games and, and the way that Peyton Manning's uh, 2016 Broncos won the Super Bowl – that have have ingrained in me a belief that defense does, in fact, win championships. And so that's, I think, the scary part about this Titans defense is, you know, like I said, they've been playing Ben Don't Break. And I think you probably need better that better than that to have any kind of hope against a team like, you know, Baltimore or Kansas City in the postseason. Yeah, and it does help that I mean, I guess there's a chance that eventually the Titans will get a Dory back. You know, which I, I tend to, to think he might play this week, just because everything's well, was, on the line. He was supposed to practice last week, and I guess if I'm making excuses and tr- trying to guess what happened, I'm guessing that maybe because Will Fuller was out with an injury, that the Titans just said, you know, they're not going to play their starters. We don't even need to risk putting them through practice. It's really unlikely that they're going to start anybody. And even if they do, they're not going to start Will Fuller. So you don't need him as your ace in the hole for that. So let's rest him and, you know, do that. I mean, I, I, in my head, I guess that's a way I could rationalize it. But either way, like, it does look like they have found something in Roberson as a guy who can be disruptive. Simmons is, you know, playing and playing more and hopefully he can be continue to be a big factor and you've got Harold I mean you've got the rest of the guys we've already talked about so if this defense can get you know more from Roberson and can get a Dory Jackson back in and you have to rely less on your you know fourth and fifth corner then maybe all of a sudden this defense is a little more aggressive and is a little more productive but you know at the end of the day the best offenses get to the Super Bowl and lose. I, all, all I want is a ticket to the Super Bowl if I'm a Titans fan. Like, you don't want to go through the heartbreak of losing again, but you also have to run that risk if you're going to get to the Super Bowl at all. So, you know, give yourself at least the chance to get to the Super Bowl with a really good offense and then worry about the rest from there. I saw a good tweet last night. It said, how sweet would it be if, uh, if Tannehill went to Miami and won the Super Bowl? I mean, can you can you imagine like it would be so gut wrenching because I think everybody in Miami pretty much agrees that Gase is the worst, and I know yeah, but let's not let's not act like he would have been this good had he stayed there. 
No, but like, it was time to move on. Time. They made the right choice. Yeah. Right, and it's you know it's not the same thing that Mariota's going through, but it would be a similar thing in that there are a lot of Miami fans who liked Tannehill. I mean, Tannehill put up good numbers. You know, he put up like I think he had like a four thousand yard season and a couple of like high three thousand yards. Like it, he wasn't ineffective, but like, he like won a lot Mariota, of Mariota, he was just kind of maddening in that like it never went anywhere. Yeah, like that's the hard part about being a highly drafted quarterback is you've got to go to a team that sucks. And if you get put out there early, you either develop bad habits or you get labeled a bust or whatever. I mean, we've seen it happen over and over again. Like we've seen it with golf. Wentz has kind of regressed. We've seen it with Baker Mayfield going from being the chosen one to being, you know, calling out teammates. I mean, those, being, those three quarterbacks that you just mentioned, Will, other than Wentz, who's in the playoffs and has actually, I think, had some pretty good performances over the last month of the season, Goff and Mayfield, ugh, terrible yeah, I mean, years from both of them. Yeah, and then think about guys like Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson, who, in Mahomes even, because the, the Chiefs traded up to get him, you know, these guys were put into teams that had good coaches who knew how to win football games and knew what they wanted in a quarterback, and that's what they got. I mean, they, they you know, I guess maybe not necessarily the Cowboys, but the Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes especially were, you know, you had coaches who were used to going to the playoffs, know what they wanted, and saw it and went up and got it, and – I mean, they they went to good teams that they've been successful. They were eased in. So, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to be a quarterback in the NFL. It's extremely hard now with the way practices are scheduled to be an early round pick and to be able to come in and immediately carry a team. And we saw that with Kyler Murray again this year. You know, it we see it year in and year out, so it shouldn't surprise us. But it is a good reminder that it, if Tannehill is the guy for the Titans and can be – anywhere close to what he's been the, in the last 10 games, if he can be that over the next four years, it's it's almost more impressive than if the Titans would have traded up to number one and gotten a guy like that. Like, Because yeah. it's so much harder to find a guy who's just on a team that is being used incorrectly. So, you know, I, like for the millionth time on here, I'll say kudos to John Robinson, who I think has done an exceptional job again this year. And, I mean – he deserves all the credit in the world, just like Tannehill. Yeah, and I think some of the we we will obviously get more into John once the uh, the off season starts. But but I'll preface those discussions with saying his, the job he has done here. I think during the early season struggles was not thought of highly enough. Uh, but that that's for a later Tate. Again, we're in, we're in a, a playoff time of year we're, we're talking about a playoff team i refuse to get into free agency or the draft it's just <laughs> now is not the time for that i mean the time to <laughs> this is you know far removed from the two and three win seasons where it's like october and we're talking Ugh. about well who, who are they going to draft who you know yeah those those were tough like you know I'm, I'm all for enjoying the moment. I love drafts. I love mock drafts. I love, you know, doing theory stuff and all that and guessing what's going to happen and what would be the best case scenario. I love all that. But I'm going to, you know, stop and smell the roses and enjoy my team being in the playoffs for, you know, twice in the last decade. Okay. When we get back from this commercial break that is coming up, 
We're going to take a deep dive into the Titans' upcoming opponent, the New England Patriots, who have won three Super Bowls this decade. Uh, They haven't been great, but as we all know, as long as number 12 is the quarterback and Bill Belichick is on the sideline, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. So we're going to get into the Patriots in 30 seconds. Okay, it's time to take a look at the Titans' upcoming opponent, the New England Patriots, who they will travel to face in the first round of this year's NFL playoffs. Uh, well, before we, we got started, I went back and watched the Patriots. A really disappointing loss to the Miami Dolphins from Sunday. And uh, later in the week, I'm going to go back and watch their uh, their win over Buffalo from the week before. Um, and, and, you know, this Patriots team, there's some interesting weaknesses that, that stand out. And before we get into the nitty-gritty and the details... I'll just kind of open with that, that, yeah, it's Brady, yeah, it's Belichick. I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's, they're done, you know, like like the, the, the Trent Dilfer thing. They're not good anymore. I'm not going to say that. They're not as good as they have been in recent years. That is a totally fair, no matter what happens on Saturday, that is correct. Yeah, or even as good as they've been at points this year. Like, it's not like they've been statically mediocre and once they get in the playoffs they're going to unleash their playbook like that they've been dominant they were 10 and 0 at one point and now they're you know 12 and 4 i think they lost four of their last six i don't don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure that's that's where they ended up and then like they lost most of them to playoff teams and kind of beat the bad teams. Like they beat the Eagles and the Cowboys who are both bad teams, but you know, like I guess one of them had to be in the playoffs. So that counted, but then they lost to Kansas city, Houston, and they almost lost to Buffalo and they didn't. I think there's another playoff team in there that I'm I'm missing. But the point is, is that they haven't done their typical thing where they look good against good teams and then kind of struggle and let somebody surprising beat them. It, it's been both of those things. So, you know, it, it, it is obviously this, you know, the best coach and the best quarterback of all time, just in terms of winning the games that matter. But the, the game last week against the dolphins wasn't a game that they went into sleepwalking. Like they, cost themselves a bye by not beating the Dolphins and they didn't get snuck up on it wasn't a bunch of fake punts or anything it was do or die Belichick had to stop Ryan Tanner Ryan 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 Fitzpatrick on a um, on a game like essentially a game-winning drive and he couldn't do it like well but but, I mean that's what and well I think you hit it the nail on the head when you said it kind of had everything to play for. Bill Belichick even said leading into the game, I remember seeing, he said, you know, this is a playoff game. If we lose, we have to play the next week. If we win, we get a week off. And so, not only do they have a lot to play for, but, well, it's not like Ryan Fitzpatrick just had this magic drive at the end and, oh my goodness, how they let it slip away. Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins were the better team the entire game. Yeah, I mean, it was... The bet. I mean, the Patriots' best players were getting beaten. You know, we talked about Stephon Gilmore before the podcast, giving up you know yardage to Parker, and just you know he got beat. A guy who many people were like, he's a defensive player of the year, and I, I don't, I don't know that a corner can ever be defensive player of the year in the NFL. Like, I just think it's 
so much more impactful to give it to the best pass rusher just because of, you know, history showing how much that helps a team win games compared to a corner. But it, the, the point is that the case was made that he was definitely the best defensive back and that he was having a year in league with some of the best corners of all time. And I think he allowed over 100 yards and yeah, so at, at least a touchdown. Devontae Parker had eight catches for 137 yards, and Gilmore traveled with him for a majority of the game. Yeah, so, like, if you're match corner, like, your star, like, this guy's going to erase that guy. If he gives up 100-something yards at home against the Dolphins, it, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL, I think they were in line to get the third pick before they won, and then now I think they're getting the fifth pick. But, you know that caliber of team it just like that well, that's not it's not a good it's not a good time to start playing your worst ball well and, and Gilmore obviously you know being mentioned as you said will a defensive player of the year candidate clearly he's done a lot right this year he was certainly on my pro bowl ballot when I put that in uh you know halfway through the season or whenever that was but I think Gilmore's struggles on Sunday and, and the entire team as a whole as I'm watching that game there's just no rhythm to, to anything, no mojo, if you will. I mean, it, it's just like they're out there playing and calling their plays, but nothing is really going right. Even the plays that do go right, it doesn't feel like they're, they're meshing together or building together. There's just no rhythm to be found in what they're doing. Now, we know from watching this team over the last 20 years that when they do find rhythm, they're probably the hardest team to beat in the NFL, but... They don't have rhythm, and and we'll get more detailed into this in a second. I don't think they're very talented like they have been in the past. And when you're when you're combining those two things, a lack of rhythm and an overall lack of talent, that could spell trouble for for the Patriots. Yeah, you know, it's always been with the Patriots, at least in the last decade or so. It's always been a bunch of guys propped up by like truly elite players, whether that was Revis or Aqib Tlaib or McCordy when he was playing at his best or Jamie Collins. But you would have guys across that defensive line and in that linebacking core, there's just like guys who you knew would go to another team. Yeah, it's like, you know, you would have studs and then in their shadow would be just another guy. Like just just a guy that was you know, off the street and everybody, you know, I, I can just hear Chris Collinsworth talking in my head about how it, Belichick found this guy out of nowhere. But a lot of that was because his assignment, that guy's assignments were easier because he had so much talent around him and because the scheme was so solid and the coaching was so good. But little bit by little bit, you know, you've lost Trey Flowers and, you know, the McCordys have both gotten older and your defensive backs are not as good as they used to be, even though they're still well-coached. And you've got Kyle Van Noy, who's good, but you don't have necessarily a dominant defensive lineman to pair with it. So it's like you lose a little bit in those key places, and the guys who were your 10s are now 8s, and they're not quite as dominant. And then on offense, you've got, you know, a backup offensive lineman here, or, you know, a guy pulled off the scrap heap here because Dante Scarnecchi has been able to make them great no matter who's been there. But for some reason, you know, this guy isn't taken, so Brady's getting more pressure on him. And 
a little bit more pressure on Brady, makes him a little bit more uncomfortable. He's throwing to guys who aren't open. So a little bit here and there is making a Tom Brady and Bill Belichick team slowly less impressive than it's been in the past just because it, they can't do it all forever. So where you've always had guys step up and fill those gaps, right now nobody is stepping up and filling up. You don't have a playmaker on offense, really. Yeah. You know, defensively, you've got Gilmore, who, you know, aside from last week, is playing really well this year. But you just it just doesn't feel like, okay, they're going to find a way to get that guy matched up with the Titans' worst pass blocker, and he's going to have two and a half sacks and completely ruin Tannehill's day. Like, it doesn't feel like that. And on offense, it doesn't feel like they're going to scheme somebody open. So it, it's it's a def, it's a different feel. Yeah, let, let's take each of the two units. Let's start with the Patriots' defense. Because what I noticed the most from them on tape, in addition to what you were saying, Will, about sort of the lack of an X-factor player, is, number one, they're a lot like the Buffalo defense. They, they play very similarly. There's multiplicity up front, versatility in terms of their personnel. One guy might be rushing on one play and covering on the next play. Kyle Van Noy is someone that they like to do a lot of different things with. But my biggest takeaway from the negative side is that they're very, very slow up front. They, they're just not that athletic. And, and and I caught that really in two ways. The first being that the Dolphins were just outrunning them, number one. But number two is that the Dolphins clearly saw that themselves and used a lot of, as we were talking about before the show, they used a lot of misdirection plays. Uh, several, you know, naked boots on, off of play action. Several, you know, reverse plays to get the defense flowing one way and then force them to flow the other and because of their lack of athleticism and speed, the Patriots' defense just couldn't keep up with a lot of those type of plays. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's hard to do when you don't have you when you don't invest a lot in the defensive side of the ball with first round picks and all that. And I mean, that they just haven't added any of those electric guys. Jamie Collins is you know having a really good year. Brady or Brady Belichick has always known how to use him effectively, and so when he came back from Cleveland and he played for Belichick, he's done great. So that's that's nice, but at the same time, it's not Jamie Collins from 2011. It's Jamie Collins in 2019, and it's just the the speed and the same thing it was. And when you've got teams that like to do that you really mess up their assignments when you run side to side because when you run motion to like let's say you start out with trips to the right okay you let everybody get lined down if you run motion and they adjust to it now all of a sudden with Tannehill, you've got a guy who's going to hurry up to the line of scrimmage on the next play and we've seen him do this and he's going to give you the exact same look and he's going to see how you line up and if you line up one way he's going to call something and if not he's going to call something else but either way if you if he knows you can't flow or if you struggle to flow or if somebody's not doing it playing sound football on one side of the ball Tannehill's done a really good job exploiting that which is why you know, not being as fast laterally and not being as sound is a potentially big problem for the Patriots, especially when they play the Titans. And so off of that, Will, what do the Titans do to, I guess, take advantage of that lack of athleticism? Because the Titans aren't a very fast offense, um, but Tannehill is a very athletic quarterback. 
And, and the whole time that I'm watching these guys, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, Tannehill's going to be a problem for them because of his athleticism. Because we've seen him running a lot. We've seen him making plays with his legs. Yesterday he threw a touchdown to Michael Pruitt off of a play that he kind of scrambled around and then got himself back into the pocket and stepped up. Um, and so I think we see a lot of misdirection this week, especially off of play action, because when you have someone as dangerous as Derrick Henry in the backfield, you can use that action to get over pursuit and then come off of that and, and, and force them to play run and chase, which is something that they're just not very good at. Yeah, I mean, it, you can run that, like that like you said, that naked boot that they like to do, which would be really effective. It would be a great week to get Adam Humphreys back. To get yeah, a guy you're right. who can, you're right. I mean, get a guy who can have that one cut burst where he can head fake a guy and get just enough space. You know, make them commit to stopping Derrick Henry, which everybody does, and then it should free up you know your younger athletic guys against their defensive backs. But it's it's not it's not one to one. It's going to be more difficult than this. But I have a really hard time not understanding why there's not at least four or five times a game where the Titans line up. Corey Davis tight and A.J. Brown on the same side, tight to the formation. Then they motion A.J. Brown to pull Stephon Gilmore out, and then they run back towards Corey Davis, who is their best blocker. You can have him on either side. The tackles both blocked eff- block effectively. If you run it to the left, you're going to get uh, Lawan and Saffold, you know, basically climbing up to the second level. You get Corey Davis cracking inside, and now you've got Derrick Henry – you know, in space against a slower, older group of defensive backs. And Stephon Gilmore's on the other side because he's had to follow A.J. Brown. So, I mean, I don't know how that's not in the playbook heavily because it sure feels like that would put them at a disadvantage. And I'm sure they would adjust to that and run zone or something. But if you can stop Gilmore from covering Brown, you take your shot to Brown. Like, I mean, like we talked about a second ago with Tannehill, like, I'm sure that'll be in the playbook and they'll, you know, run motion. If he follows him, cool. It's play one. If he doesn't follow him, it's play two. And I'm going to go deep to AJ Brown, or it's going to be some sort of like catch and run. Like it seems like because AJ Brown and Henry demand so much special attention that now for the first time in a long time, it feels like defenses are on their back foot rather than the Titans having to scheme up anything particularly interesting or just beat matchups. They shouldn't win. So that that's how I would attack it. And, and last thing um, is a twofold part in the passing game. I think if you're Dean Pease, you, uh, or excuse me, we're talking about the Patriots defense. If you're Arthur Smith and you get man coverage, you have to make them chase. Like I was saying, you can't just run breaking routes and curls and, and stuff. you got to make them run across the field. But also, you're probably going to see a lot of Stephon Gilmore on A.J. Brown. And so, like you said, Will, this would be a great week for Humphreys to be back. But Corey Davis has had his best career games against this team, and and the Titans are going to need another one, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it would it would be great for Corey Davis to step up and have another big, big game. He's been having okay wide receiver two games for the last few weeks where, you know, it's it's very clear that the offense is going to run through A.J. Brown now, and he's able to make a few plays a game that look really good. But, I mean, if he's ever going to look like the guy he looked like last year or like he looked the year before against the Patriots, then – it would be a great time for him to show up in the playoffs and get his kind of revenge for how his rookie season went now. 
you know, that he couldn't quite get it all to click early. But, God, I mean, if if you get – and this is just me dreaming, but if you can get Corey Davis playing like that guy, like playing like, you know, New England Patriots Corey Davis, and you can get him like that for the playoffs – right as you're getting Derrick Henry healthy and AJ Brown and maybe Adam Humphreys back. I mean, I mean, I mean, like it would just be a whole new level to an already outstanding offense. Let's talk about the Patriots offense, because I think that first of all, Tom Brady was not great in the last game. His arm strength is still there, but as I was telling you, there's just not a ton of accuracy, or at least there wasn't. But what I noticed the most from the Patriots' offense is that the receivers just aren't getting open. Every time that Brady threw to a wide receiver, it was into a tight window. And we're so used to, I mean, you know, the the Barry McCockiner in-depth breakdowns (laughs) on Tom Brady. You know, we're used to him throwing to wide open guys. Well, these guys aren't getting open. And, And I'm interested to go back and watch the Bills game to see how they do against that tough defense. But against the Dolphins, these guys were locked down all day long. And so that makes me think that... You know, you got to play a lot of press man coverage against this team and and dare, maybe not Edelman because, I mean, he is pretty good, but dare Mohamed Sanu and and Nikhil Harry and Philip Dorsett to create separation against you. Yeah, I mean, Dean Pease didn't dare A.J. McCarron to throw into tight coverage. He's not going to dare Tom Brady. Like, this team is a super conservative cover to – I, and I think caveat. if you get a Dory back, that changes. Will yeah, that's 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 what I was going to say. Is I should say that caveat is I think if a Dory comes back, we may see some of the old playbook that's more effective. But if not, then we're going to see a lot of cover two, a lot of very predictable defenses, a lot of like oh look they rotated the safeties right as soon as the ball was snapped, which is okay. It's mildly effective, but it also usually gives up some zones underneath. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, is, as much as I want this defense to step up and to be aggressive, unless Adoree Jackson's back and unless they're completely confident in him, which he didn't practice at all last week. So we'll kind of see how that goes this week. If he's just limited and barely makes the game, I don't expect them to lean on him super hard in man coverage. But if, if he's full go and all that and they trust him, great. If not, this is going to be a game where the Titans just have to score 35 points. It's just, I mean, it's it's going to be like every other game we've seen from them for the past three or four months against starters. Sorry, three or four weeks, not months. Are you ready for Stop the Nonsense? Yeah. So Stop the Nonsense. Sure, but Stop the Nonsense is our weekly segment where we dive into the dumbest stupidity of the sports week. I've got a good one, but we'll go ahead. Okay, so um, I'll start mine because it's it's a long running complaint of mine, and I, I I'm not sure if we if we've talked about it before. Stop me, and I'll find another one because I have ranted about this before. But it's about um, Texans fans begging to have some sense of like history. And yeah, I don't like, think we have so- gotten into that on here. The Oilers stuff. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Um, Texans fans are desperate to be like a good franchise and they're, they're not a good franchise. Like they've never been very good. They've never done anything, but what they do have is they're in the same city as where the Titans used to be when they were the Oilers. And I've, I, I'll, I'll 
I'll read this tweet and then I'll kind of explain why it's such a stupid take. Uh, this guy said, good Lord, I knew education in Tennessee was bad, but I guess assuming y'all could construct complete sentences was the wrong move. Uh, this is in reference to somebody talking about, uh, I think it was Earl Campbell playing for uh, the Oilers and how that related to a record that Derrick Henry hit, like blah, blah, blah. Uh, said he played for the Houston all caps Oilers, not the Adams Oilers. His legacy belongs to his city and his state. Mm. Okay, so if this is a really dumb thing to say, um, because I, I've all, I've always compared it to okay, if I live in my house and I move, and you live in my house like the house that used to be mine, you're not a part of my family. That. You have not joined anything. You just assumed a space that I left. We have no connection. I don't know you. We're not related. Just like when the Titans moved to t- when the Oilers moved to Tennessee and became the Titans, they just changed their name. That they, they didn't forego any connection to the players they used to have. It's not. It, that's not how this works. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's such a stupid idea to say. Well, he played in our city. That's fine that's not how that works well here's what i'll say if there's a new st louis team do they claim kurt warner and marshall yeah exactly exactly and the answer is like right now if you're a rams fan are you if you completely foregone any affection for anybody who started in st louis like i mean because that, that's basically what you're saying, is you're saying that whatever city you're in, suddenly all the history that belongs in that city belongs to a new team. If if the Patriots moved and a new franchise popped up in New England, do they automatically have Super Bowls in their past? No, nobody was associated with it. They're just living on the same ground where somebody successful used to be. So, I mean... Texans fans need to have fun with Arian Foster and be excited that he's the best back they've ever had. But they've got no connection to Earl Campbell. He's not your guy. You know, you might have lived in the city and watched him play there, but you should have followed the Titans when they went to Nashville instead of, like, waiting for a new expansion franchise to come around. You don't get to claim both. Mine, for I believe the second time in the last month, is Diana Russini. Bad day for her brand yesterday. Oh, yeah. So I sent you a tweet yesterday. I'm trying to find it because I think I sent it. Okay, I sent it to our group. Diana Rossini yesterday afternoon tweets this, breaking some some big, big J news about Derrick Henry. Hold up. We're getting there. We're getting there. (laughs) There's a – okay, here we go. At Diana ESPN. Derrick Henry rested his hamstring injury last week. He will be back at full speed today. Thank you for that. I mean, I would have never known that. Um, his teammate, why couldn't you just say who it is? That's one of these journalism things. It's like sources say. Like sometimes it's a private source. Other times, like, just tell us who told you that. He was clocked at 18 miles per hour at practice this week compared to just over 16 and a half Two weeks ago, a healthy Henry is dangerous, exclamation point. Like, what in the world is this tweet? Okay, 18 miles, clocked at 18 miles an hour at practice. 
Well, I've seen a lot of Titans practices. You've been to your share of Titans practices. I have not one time seen some man or woman kneeling down holding a radar gun. It, it's such a weird thing. And I mean, are they, I are they going back on like the tape and looking at this? Are they, send, those, are they sending next-gen stats their practice tape? That, I mean, it, it is. It's next-gen stats monitoring those chips or whatever that's in their shoulder pads. It's During practice? I, I, I think they're just part of the shoulder pads. I think they're just, like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if they're in all of them. I don't know how long they do it for. It's the weirdest fascination that people have, and I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, you, you sent me a message a while back. You're like, am I the only one that does not care about how miles per hour a player's running? I'm like, no, because there's no context for it. It's like if you tell me so-and-so ran a 4-4-4 40-yard dash, I'm like, okay, you know, that's not bad. Pretty fast. Like, I don't know how, you know, 20 miles an hour. Like, it's such a, like, it's too I mean, big if I, if I told a measurement. You, if I told you that Chris Johnson at his peak ran 23 miles in his 40-yard dash, that would mean nothing to you. Yeah, like, exactly. And also, it doesn't tell you anything. It, finding out top-end speed does not necessarily mean anything. For example, Derrick Henry has always been very good and very fast in this top-end speed, but his his problem and why he hadn't been a 2,000-yard rusher is because his acceleration is not great. It takes time to build up. I'm just, so, ima- I'm just imagining Mike Vrabel at practice like with a radar gun, like, well, we're not going to play him against the Saints because he only hit 16.5 this week. And then this week, like, 18, he's good to go. Yeah, I mean, like, there's some weird arbitrary barrier where they're like, oh, he, did he clear 17.5? All right, we'll get him suited up, and he gets full workload. Like, it's just, it's such a weird obsession, and I guess it all comes from our fascination with numbers and quantifiable data, but that that doesn't mean anything. It's all, please stop clicking and retweeting those things because they don't mean anything, and you're just retweeting something because it sounds impressive and because it's framed in a certain way where you think it should be impressive, Yeah. but... Nobody really knows what that means or if it's important. So cue the Billy Mays, but wait, there's more. Because right before the game, or a little before, I don't remember exactly, uh, she does a live hit on ESPN, and there's a graphic. I'm assuming she's reporting this. A.J. Brown will return punts today. So on Saturday morning, Paul Kuharski, who's probably the most plugged-in Titans reporter that exists, reported that Rashard Davis, the rookie receiver they pulled off the practice squad this week, would be returning punts. And also on Friday, when Mike Vrabel had his media availability after practice, the names that got thrown around for the punt return job were two names, Deion Lewis and Rashard Davis. A.J. Brown's name was not mentioned. And so I remember when I saw this, I was just like, there's no way. There's no way they're putting their most valuable offensive player, not named Derrick Henry or Ryan Tannehill, back there to return punts. And also the name was just never brought up. I mean, like, and this isn't coming from sources or, oh, oh, I've heard that. Like, it's just coming from paying attention. Like, I'm, I'm just, I don't know what it is with her and the Titans, but it always feels like she's fishing and, like, she puts her, her line out there and she reels back in like an old sock and she's like, I've got it. I, I, I worked. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you caught something, but you caught a sock. Yeah, it is. it is a very weird kind of... I won't call it an obsession because it doesn't seem like something that's like she's considered like 
more than the five seconds she's on screen talking about him or whatever. But that was weird. And Karski, uh, we should also say, backpedaled and said, well, he is out there with the returners. I hadn't heard anything, but basically said that, like, I don't really know who the returner is going to be. It could be anybody. And, you know, lo and behold, it wasn't A.J. Brown. But I don't know if Vrabel was just trolling ESPN when they reported that. I don't know if it's something he floated out to make somebody look stupid. I don't know if he's trying to find a rat that's telling people at ESPN their business. I don't know what the deal is there. But very odd. I can tell you it's super weird. It's not something that had any basis other than it. It was one of those things where it was like, I'm hearing that so-and-so, you know, it, it one of those things that you're like, well, that's kind of a weird tip-off, and sometimes it's great, and the person looks like they're a genius, and sometimes they look like a fool, and this time, they did not look like a genius. So, I mean, Diana Rossini, I'm sure she's she's good at her job. I don't follow her or, any, or anything, so I don't keep track of her, but it, at the very least, she got snowed in week 17 and it kind of reminds me of last year when everybody was reporting that I'm sorry everybody wasn't reporting this Rappaport was reporting that Mariota wasn't going to play and everybody in Nashville fought against that and said of course he's going to play you know he just hadn't practiced all week because they're trying to make sure he's healthy and all that and he didn't play and it was it was one of the very few times, and it was one of the very few times that anybody got any information about the Titans that didn't come from local media. And it's why I respect Rapport to this day, and why he's become so popular in national media and radio hits is because he clearly found a source that it, you know trusts him and that he trusts and got yeah. real information. So unless she has a report like that going forward. Just don't pay attention to her. Just block her on social media and don't pay attention because she's just guessing. All right, well, that's going to do it for us for today. Come back next week where we will let you know how fast A.J. Brown runs next week in terms of miles per hour. And until then, uh, for Will and Matias, who is not here, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.